Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torrey. And I'm Danielle Moody. And you want to see how whiteness works? Some some maniac walked into a spa, a group massage parlor, whatever. Murdered a whole bunch of people, and the cops wanted us to know he was having a bad day. Now, yes, this is probably factual, but why we are concerned with his emotions and trying to understand him and feeling any level of empathy and humanity toward him, even though he has done something evil, horrible, and despicable. And yet when we we, see the whole thing, I feel like is that we don't get sufficient humanity and the expectation Mm -hmm. of being human from white people and they overextend humanity to each other. So you get Dylan Roof getting a burger on the way to lifetime in prison because he's just a white boy who had a rough day. Whereas Jacob Blake, who's walking away from cops, a family man, gets shot in the back. And on and on and on. Um, You know, why George Floyd gets his ass beat in the car and then strangled on the street. But there's all sorts of videos on Instagram of white man wrestles with police officers, beats them when he escapes from their clutches, maybe takes their police car and majestically and magically remains unshot. There are no bullet holes in him whatsoever. Because this is how whiteness works. The expectation of humanity is extended to them even when they act inhumanely. And no matter how dignified we act, we still have to struggle for the expectation of being human from them. I want to burn the whole country to the fucking ground. That's how I feel on a regular fucking basis. But when I woke up to the news of yet another white man murdering Mass shooting, murdering eight women. You know, I think to myself, what the fuck is wrong with America? Like, when are we going to wake up to the fact that white men are 
incredibly violent and are a threat to all of our safety. Mm. When are we going to stop having conversations as if, first of all, I will not call this man a lunatic. I will not say that he's crazy. You know why? Because I'm not going to give him some type of mental health escape and break Mm. for us rather. Because what happens when we do that is that rather with dealing with the intricacies and the frustrations and the systems of white supremacist oppression, then we want to say, well, oh, he's crazy, which means that we can just shrug this shit off. The fact is, is that every time one of these incidents happen, to your point, we hear about law enforcement, whether or not providing a burger, a hug, some type of fucking coddling. The QAnon shaman wants to go on a hunger strike because he can't get organic food. Motherfucker, what? What? But Khalif Browder was in was in prison for three years under suspicion of stealing a backpack and then ends up killing himself because of the treatment that he had inside. Nobody asked him how he was feeling if he had a bad day. Son, do you need anything? Mm. But the love affair that law enforcement, the mainstream media has with white supremacy is why the fuck we are here is why these people continue to do what they do because there's no accountability and responsibility. I mean, obviously I co-sign everything you said. I just want to footnote one thing that the reason why the shaman can, can protest and say, I deserve my vegan organic weirdo diet. And I, and I read through what his whole diet and his whole thing is. It is some weirdo shit. There was a brother who is Muslim who they mm-hmm. were saying, you must shave your beard. And he went to court saying, why do I have to shave my beard? And the court said, this is a legitimate part of your religion. You do not have to shave your beard just because you're in prison. So there was that that one thread of some smidgen of respect for religion woven within that. But the other part of it is that we now, and this has been the fact for a while, we have mass shootings and it's not that big a deal. We don't no. even have national hand-wringing and national mourning and national tears over like, oh, Jesus, somebody went nuts with a gun and murdered a large number of people in one fell swoop. It's like, okay. And we are numb to it because it's happened so many times. Um, we know that we can't do anything about it politically because the Republican Party won't hear of that because they are in bed with the NRA and the gun lobby. There is money to be made in manufacturing guns and bullets. There is no money to be made in fighting uh, for gun safety. So the gun lobby has a lot of money. They have the most of the Republic, all of the Republican party and some of the democratic party in their pocket enough that we can never do anything about guns. And it does go back. I mean, everything goes back to slavery, but it does go back to our roots in slavery in that Southern States were given an outsized amount of power mm-hmm. and, and they continue to be able to control the conversation in these regards in a way that paralyzes the conversation and make sure that they get what they want. And as long as you have a large number of rural people 
who have a relationship with guns, which is largely healthy, which is already part of their culture, which is their thing, which is entirely different than what we are going through in urban, in big city America with guns. But the rural people feel threatened because the NRA tells them to feel threatened. Their culture is being taken away. So the Republican Party is frozen or is, is, is obstructing any actual movement on guns. So we can't do anything. So we just have to live with mass shootings. We're the only major country that just made, just said, we're just going to live with mass shootings. That's just like, you- it's just going to happen. But do you understand the amount of things that because of Republican obstruction, we're being told to live with, we're being told to just adapt to as if it's normal? You know, we are at the height of the COVID-19 crisis and we had, you know, the likes of the Trump administration telling us it is what it is. Right. That's their answer and their reality and understanding to everything, like as if they have no power to do anything about it. The only the fact that eight people went into a store and were murdered. And we are not like up in arms about it. Do you know why, Torre? Because it wasn't double digits, right? We're at a place where we are so numb that unless you're talking about 20, 30, 40, 50 people like that were mowed down at the Pulse nightclub or in Las Vegas in that mass shooting or 17 kids killed in Newtown or in Parkland, unless you're talking about those numbers, America's like, oh, well, that's just another day. It's just another fucking Wednesday. That's disgusting. I don't give a fuck what our constitution says. And I don't believe in other people being able to say, well, violence is a part of my culture and I don't want you to take my violent roots away. Because that's all I hear when you talk about white rural people and their right to guns. What about our right to life? And this is the thing. They only want to talk about right to life when we're talking about a fucking embryonic cell, but they don't want to talk about a right to life when we're able to go to the fucking grocery store, massage parlor, restaurant, or fucking school. I'm just, I'm tired of these people acting and us acting as if they're a political party when they're not. They're not. They are fucking, they are a bunch of fucking hoes that are succumbed to like the pimps of their, of their donor base. Well, you know. They're just out there turning fucking tricks. They don't turn legislation. There is, there is not currently some rational, serious wing of the Republican Party. That is like, hey, we got to get back to uh, austerity, smaller government, you know, taxation, lower taxation, boosting the private sector. They used to talk about that 30, 40 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. There's nobody there. It's all detached from reality, anti-immigration, anti-climate change, all anti-whatever the Dems want to do. We just want to own the libs, obstruct them, stop them. We're just here for defense. When we have all three chambers, we have no idea what to do because we have no significant policy initiatives. As soon as Democrats under Obama had all three houses, all three branches of government, immediately went to trying to enact Obamacare. Even though we have to save the country from an economic crisis created by a, Demo- a Republican president, we immediately, yep. like, let's achieve the multi-decade Democratic dream of, of, of reforming health care. Republicans have all three branches. They're like, well, I, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. 
if there's no serious wing of the party and it's not like there's people saying i'm leaving because you guys are just a bunch of detached from reality lunatics so even if you are not one of them who are out spouting the lunacy you are aiding and abetting in that because you're not telling the party hey you know we used to be about ideas we used to be about policy now we're just about hate now we're just about bringing people into a bubble that is detached from reality and keeping them there, filling them with anger and hate and like just motivating them via that. This is, this is, I mean, this is evil. This show is part of the. From the New Yorker staff writer, Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the Senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Represent Us a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting, and they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. What up, y'all? It's Torre, and on my podcast, Torre Show, I interview successful black rappers, actors, writers, politicians, all sort of people to talk about what powered their rise, how they built their success, and what their superpower is. Through our conversations, you'll learn about how you can achieve your goals. Listen to Torre Show on Apple Podcasts or anywhere podcasts are streamed. And go further and become a member of our community on Patreon, where you'll get exclusive episodes. You know, the, the, 
the House, right, tried to pass some type of legislation they did with regard to the rise in anti-Asian hate. 164 Republicans didn't sign it, didn't want it passed. I mean, you get like fucking we, we have all the information in the world. Right. An AAPI report comes out and says since Donald Trump and Republicans started referring to the coronavirus as the Kung flu, started referring to it as a China virus. One hundred and fifty percent escalation in violence against Asian Americans and AAPI people. But 164 how, Republicans how, are just like, man, nah, I'm good. I'm good. This I'm OK. A political football. I'm like, how are masks and vaccines a political football? How is an election a political? And when I say a political football, I don't mean both sides. I mean, right. the right has politicized these things, which should not be politicized. Whether or not you wear a mask, whether or not you take a vaccine, whether or not we believe the election was fair. These are not like political points. No, no. And, had, and, and, and yeah, go ahead. Well, I had somebody on my other show, Torre Show, this week, um, plug, and uh, <laughs> he advanced a very interesting idea. Charles Blow, New York Times, CNN, really smart uh, journalist, opinionist. He's written a new book, which mm-hmm. the thesis of the book is if half of the black, 44% of, 44, I think I'm getting it right, 44% of black Americans live outside of the South. Yep. So 66% of us still live in the South. If half of those who live outside of the South returned to nine particular Southern states where we already occupy 30% of the population, if we did that, we would politically control virtually the whole South and would radically change Southern politics and American politics to the extent where we could routinely have 10 to 12 uh, black senators. We could Mm -hmm. have all kinds of, you know, eight to nine black governors, um, all kinds of mayors and have a substantive impact on local level and national level policies toward black people around wealth gap, policing, almost like the dream. Would you move to the South based on like a, a, I mean, largely based on a political mission saying like, if you, Danielle, were one of the people, we need, we need, you know, what are we, 13 million Americans? How many, How many? what are we, 20 million Americans? How many black people are there in America? We're 13%. 13%. Right, of the, we're 13%, but if I, I'm not good at math. So 13% of 330 million is what exactly? Um, let's see. <laughs> Googling, my, my, I, I, Googling <laughs> I see 42 million black people in America. Okay, yeah. So 42 million, and he says 44%. 22. Yeah. So we need about 11 million. Yes. Right? I know somebody yeah. who does math faster than I is listening to this and laughing like, no, you fool. It's not 11. It's 12 and a half. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. We need about 11 million black people from you know, New York, Chicago, Detroit, Philly, L.A. Move back down south. Georgia. It's reverse. 
Louisiana. Reverse migration. Absolutely. Reversing the Great Migration. And he says this is already happening, that we're already seeing a large movement of black people, black millennials. Are, if, we, if we've mapped out the migratory patterns, people are leaving yeah. the cities and moving to the south. Would you move down south? So I talked to Charles, too, on my show. Woke AF. Not PM there. Woke AF. And, you know, he literally had me thinking, fuck, am I really doing America a disservice by living in Brooklyn and not living in Atlanta, not moving to, because to me, Atlanta would be the only other place to go. I'm not trying to go south, south. You wouldn't move um, to New Orleans? New Orleans is amazing. Mm, no. Um, so have you not been to, wait, hold on. Don't slag New Orleans. Have you not been, have I you have, not been to New Orleans? I've never been to New Orleans, but I also oh. don't want to live there. Oh my God. New Orleans um, is one of the great cities of the world. I, be- it is I believe really you. special for food, for music and culture, for people, the vibe, got it, got it, got the community. It's, it's, it's great. But my, my point is that I hear him. And when he maps out the what could happen, the ownership that we could have, that you could no longer ignore us, right? That these elections wouldn't just be these historic turnouts, but we're talking about changing the actual demographic makeup of the Senate, of Congress, right? I said, well, shit, this is actually something worth considering. We know that Black millennials and zillennials and folks are doing this. They're making this move based on economics alone. It's fucking expensive to live in New York and San Francisco and LA and Miami and these places. That's why they're making the move. If you tack on, on top of that, that not only will you be able to live a better life, a better quality of life because the cost of living is lower, but then you will also have more power on top of that the case that he makes is a good one, right? Like, you know, you have two senators now in Georgia that have to be in lockstep with the community that put them there, right? right? For the first time, for the first time ever. Otherwise, they're just able to ignore us. That's an important point that Charles Blow makes that all but all outside of the two newest black senators, all the black senators and governors who've been elected previously largely have a white coalition behind them. They have a significant number of black people behind them, but it's a largely white coalition. And politicians must be uh, beholden to the coalition that elected them. They got to make sure the people who voted for them want to vote for them again. So they have to listen to them very carefully. And until we have black elected officials who can say 40% of the people who voted for me 50% of the yeah. people who voted for me yep. were black. They're always going to be saying, well, what do the white people need? Which doesn't mean they're yep. going to sell us out, but they got to make sure that the white people are happy or they have or they have no political future. And politicians don't do anything that would not get them reelected. They and that's 100 percent. That's a, but the, to that point and, and to and to and to Charles's point. No politician ever asked ever, is ever concerned about upsetting the black community, right? right? They're right. like these motherfuckers right. have to go along with the get along anyway. What's the right. other option, right. right? They are never. No one is ever concerned. Like, oof, really hope I mean, that Claire and them aren't ups, aren't upset in Georgia I, I mean, about if, about if, my vote. If we were able to consider the Republican Party 
which we're not, because the Republican mm-hmm. Party is repelling us. The, the notion that they want us is absurd. They give a little tiny bit of lip service to it every once in a while just to make themselves not seem racist. They don't want us. I wonder, though, if our political power would be diffused so much as to not be that important. We clearly know, because we all showed up for Joe Biden, and because the concentration of black voters is larger and stronger than any other demographic, the Democratic Mm -hmm. Party, and Joe Biden in particular, has to they have to look. They have to look and see what do the black folks want? Because mm-hmm. we would not be here if not mm-hmm. for the black folks in South Carolina, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Detroit. They showed up for me. Chicago showed up for me. And I got to show up for them. I don't know if I could move south. And I think it's something that's deep within me because. It, I believe very deeply, I feel very deeply that I am standing on the shoulders of the people who came behind me. And I Mm -hmm. never forget that the opportunities that I've had educationally, professionally, um, you know, financially come because people behind me sacrificed and lived the lives that they lived. My father who grew up in the projects, people before him. Uh, my grandmother's from from Alabama, so I can only imagine what her grandparents went through. Um, I stand on the shoulders of the people who went before me. So, move. You know, when you see like my grandmother from Alabama, that's mm-hmm. my mother's side. My father from Harlem. Mm-hmm. We're and then you know, and then he moves to Boston. I moved to New York to Brooklyn. And we're mapping a black history here, right? The South was the locus of us. Harlem was a key locus for us, right? Moving out to suburbs as as affirmative action rises and then returning to a place like Brooklyn, very much in line with black history. And I know a lot of us are moving South, but in in part of my heart, as much as I love the South, Atlanta, New Orleans in particular, I feel like it's a, it would be a step backwards, mm. right? Like I'm returning to something, whereas my whole life has been trying to move forward, forward. From, yep. from what the people behind, like my people escaped the South. Correct. And now you're going back to it. And that is not to diss the South in any way. Because um, I said, you know, but I love it and I revere the, 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 the greatness of the South yeah. and the Black South. Um, but I, you know, do you feel that at all? See, for me, I don't have any familial connection to the South. My family is not black American. And so my story is the Jamaica, right? And then the folks that left Jamaica immigrated to the United States then and came to New York, right? So it is a, a kind of one track story here. For for my family, which was like you go where there are the most Jamaicans, right? And yeah. like that was either that was either going to go to the UK, go to Canada, or come to New York. New York in you know in the United States. And so for me, there's no familial rooting for me to go back to in terms of going to the South. 
right? I don't have, there's not a food connection. There's not a lineage connection. There's not a familial connection. So for me, it wouldn't, it would just be a political move. If I were to make one, it wouldn't be a return to anywhere. And I think that when we, when we talk about black people, we also have to talk about the depths of the diaspora that we're talking about. There are Africans that are here. There are Caribbeans, right? Like Mm -hmm. there are, you know, um, uh, black Latinx folks. And so, I think that for Black Americans who have a root in the South, I do think that that is a question worth asking, though, about going back to a place that was the site of so much violence and and misery, but turning it into a place of power. And And that was the beauty in what I think that Charles, his book, is talking about. It's like reclaiming your power. Right. And the set and the center of that. Yeah. And, you know, he, he makes a great argument about, you know, hey, look, they're lynching you in the north and in the right. south. Right. You're Correct. catching hell up here and down there. So don't act like, you know, I'm escaping violence by moving up north. George <laughs> Floyd and Tamir Rice, you know, would like to enter the chat up north. She can get hectic. You know, New York has a whole slew of people sean bell bell and amadou mm-hmm. diallo and mm-hmm. eleanor bumpers and we go on mm-hmm. and on um so you know it, she could get hectic up north i i one so you you have you you aren't saying yes or no i'm seeing you're like probably no would not move. i mean probably probably not because it's just not like my family isn't there i have no roots there you know, it would literally be a strategic political move, right? For me to do, to uproot myself and say, I'm going to Georgia and that's, you know, and that's what I'm doing. Even I though that, you live yeah. in um, a fairly typical New York apartment Correct. and you could have a house. I could. In Atlanta for, for the, for the small, you know, like you probably live in like a thousand square feet in New York City. And you mm-hmm. could have a house and a yard in Atlanta. Are you, com- are, you com- are you coming to visit me? Because I don't know a lot of my friends that would be coming down to visit me. So well, I'm confused well, no, about, again, what I'm doing. But there is a, I mean, I, I, I mean, I went to Emory and I know there is a vibrant oh. black community, a very vibrant uh, black gay community yes. in Atlanta. So, you know, if, if you were amenable, you would have friends who would embr- love you and embrace you. And I think you'd also probably find, I've heard this from other folks who moved down South into smaller cities. Like New York is so big getting into systems like networks of friends is hard. Cause, cause there's so many people and people move so fast. You go to a smaller community and someone like yourself moves to Atlanta and people be like, yo, like Danielle. And people will be like reaching out, like, you want to be friends with us? You want to be friends with us? Like, as opposed to <laughs> New York is like, you know, we don't have, we don't, you know, we're jaded. We don't, we don't time. But I do see. I see the appeal. I do see, I see the, I see the appeal. But I am a New York jaded soul. The other, <laughs> the other part, I mean, the what I would carve out, out of Charles's argument for moving down the South. New Yorkers are doing something a little bit different. Because I think mm. that political power is incredibly important, but also wealth, building wealth is yes. incredibly important. And, of course, the political system is controlled 
by money, by wealthy mm-hmm. people. And we need to. Cre- hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainen, the host of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. We more black dollars that we can invest, that we can use in the political system, that we can give to our children so they can create businesses. And real estate is one of the key ways to create that sort of money that you can use to wield power, pass on to your children, make sure that they can have the money to live much more comfortably than we did. And in New York, in particular, San Francisco as well, we are, our home values are rising far more rapidly than in the South, than mm-hmm. anywhere else. You know, maybe Miami being one of the few places that can compete, but just the value is rising more slowly. What I got, what I get out of owning this place in Brooklyn for 15 years is more than I would have gotten owning a home uh, almost anywhere else. Right. Uh, anywhere for the same in the South. Amount of time. For the same yeah. amount of time. So we are building something here in New York that, I'm sorry, my brothers and sisters in Philadelphia and Detroit are not able to do. Um, because so New won- York is a place that people are always going to want to come to, yeah. right? It is a place that is always going to grow and back. Like it may, you know, wane a little bit. Like we saw that was a, an exodus from Manhattan, you know, during COVID with people on the Upper West Side and the Upper East Side leaving, you know, going to their second and third homes. But the reality is, as the saying goes, New York is always a good idea. If you can afford to buy something in New York, it is always going to go up, right? Gentrification is, is real. It's always going to spread. People are is, always going to be looking for a space. I'm, I've been afraid about the future of New York because New York is always for like the poor and the wealthy, right? And if you have money, you mm. can have a good time. And if you don't have much, you know, I came here as a, as a poor artist um, and I was able to find a community of people with whom I was able to talk, compare notes, compete, and develop as a writer. And that has happened historically among visual artists, among recording artists, among all sorts of... New York is a great place to have all kinds of scenes. And yes, these sorts of scenes exist in other parts of the country. But if we lose that, 
Yeah. And, 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 and I wonder if that and how that returns New York. And I'm not talking about the potential for exposure. I'm talking about getting with like-minded people, some of them older, some of them younger, being able to see them, touch them, be in a scene that will allow you to develop as an artist. I mean, like, it's not an accident that hip-hop and disco and certain forms of visual art and other forms of culture uh, all come out of New York City. It's very difficult to be this innovative as New York has been over and over and over throughout many decades. Uh, You know, other cities have produced a little bit, but New York has produced a lot of culture. I think it's the cultural center of the United States, right? Like it is the cultural center of the United States in many ways because of the art and the music, the poetry, the visual, the, the, the sculpting, the graffiti, all of which has come from New York. I don't think that people will never not come here. Yes. Is it expensive? Absolutely. But to your point, like there is, there's always a pull and a strong desire but I think that when we look at the when you look at the economics of it and you overlay it with the poli- with the politics and we look at the demographic shift that is happening, it's the, the question that we all have to ask ourselves is where do I have the most power? Where can I show up the greatest? And I think that that's the question that Charles asks in his book. That's what he that's what he's leaning towards. And that's what we're seeing in all of these, you know, elections. It's like, where do we have the most power? The well, most that's exactly voice? It. the number one thing. That uh, I talked about this with Charles. People in DC should be looking to move out of DC and into a Georgia, a Louisiana, a Mississippi, and thus gaining political power and potentially economic power because you are unrepresented. Unrepresented in, in, in DC, in the and House and in the Senate, and that is not going to change. For a very long time, if ever. And you are squandering the potential for political power. Charles also, he says, if y'all moved to Maryland or to Delaware, Delaware is one of the nine southern states that he talks about as um, places where there's a significant portion of black people, where if we move to those places, we could become much more politically powerful. You know, because New, York, like I said, New Yorkers are participating in a vibrant political culture and building economic wealth. I'm not sure that's happening in D.C. And if some of those brothers and sisters could move out by a, a, the millions to other places, it could be extraordinarily powerful for them, for their children, for their grandchildren. It's a, it's an immense idea, and it's and it's immense it's an immense opportunity. Uh, for us as a race. I think so. And I think that that's right. And I think it's a question that we need to be asking ourselves as we march towards the demographic shift, march towards that, you know, 2035 uh, date about what are we going to look like? Mm. Are we going to look like a new apartheid structure? Because that's what Republicans want with their 200 voter suppression bills that they put out this year. Are we going to look like South Africa, apartheid South Africa, or are we going to look like something else? But th- those are the only two choices that we have. Mm. <sighs> fucking apartheid. Oh, the fucking Republicans are 
fucking driving they're me fucking, nuts. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, when I I had Maxine Waters on my show, Torre Show, and um, <laughs> she said one of the core, the core fault line in American politics is racism. That's yes. what the Republican Party is all about. Uh, you know, the Democratic Party is on the other side. This is a core dividing line in American politics. And it's one thing for activists or intellectuals to say that, but to have a leading American political figure say that is... I mean, if you if you listen to Democrats on the floor these days as they're talking, Democrats have about fucking had it. And it's about time. I know. Right? Like, where they're just like, so you motherfuckers gonna sit here, talk about Mr. Potato Head and read Green Eggs and Hams. Meanwhile, people are starving and over 500,000 Americans are dead. The fuck is wrong with you? Like, they are saying that type of... Like, what is wrong with you? We're, we want to pass legislation to protect our Asian-American brothers and sisters. We want to make sure that Americans can vote. And this is the hot shit that you guys are doing. Like, if there was a website for Republicans, their pillar, their one pillar to Maxine, to Auntie Maxine's point is racism. If you are a racist, we are for you. Right. That's it. Right. Right. Like the Republicans don't stand for anything else. At the beginning of the show, you talked about austerity. You talked about, you know, small government, all of these things. The Republican Party didn't even offer a fucking platform in 2020 because they know they don't stand for shit. They don't stand for anything. So it's like, so what are we doing here? Having conversations and like compromise and like listening to Mitch McConnell on the floor lament about the Biden Harris timeline on vaccination. I'm like, motherfucker, go inject some bleach, sit the fuck down with your mealy mouth and shut up. Be happy ain't nobody Uh, investigating you right now. How about that? Thank you for listening to Democracy Ish. I don't even want to hang on. And I'm Danielle, and I don't even want to hang on anymore, folks. I don't even want to fucking hang on. Ah, I hate it here. (laughs) I hate it here. Burn it down! 